Hello, welcome to Signals from the Hill, a new podcast all about Avery Hill Publishing, a comics publisher based in South London in the UK. My name is Stephen Walsh. I'm the head of sales at Avery Hill and will also be producing this monthly podcast, which will mostly be news and interviews with Avery Hill related creators. But for this first episode, we're going to just introduce you to the team and give you a little bit of background to the history of Avery Hill. Would you all like to introduce yourselves and say what you do at Avery Hill? So I'm Dave. I think the official title that we settled on is co-publisher, which broadly means working on new titles, working on new books with, with creators. Is that fair, Rick? I, I think we decided quite recently you're kind of head of operations, I'd say. So head you're like operations. more the kind of printing and all that kind of stuff as well, like the physical side of things. Yes, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that, yeah, we do. I do do uh, a lot of the liaison with the printers and and that kind of stuff, and and that makes me feel a lot better now. Now that I can say that. <laughs> I'm Ricky. I'm the other co-publisher. Yeah, Dave and I started the company together, and I think my focus is primarily on um, kind of more sales side of things, sales and marketing, and then a bit of business development type stuff. Yeah, I mean, Dave both tend to run the different book projects as little individual projects each. So, yeah, a, a lot of it's curating a lineup as well that we both do. I'm Kat. I do marketing as well. So I do a lot of trying to get reviews for the new books, get press coverage for the books and the creators. I deal with our distributors as well, creating marketing material for them. I do a little bit of going back and forth with printers as well, getting prices and looking at specs for upcoming titles. And I do the newsletters. So we have a general Avery Hill newsletter, which is you can sign up to on the website, which is just general Avery Hill news. And then I do various ones that go out to different retailers and things trying to sell books. I'm glad Kat's a lot clearer on what she does than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I first met up with you, I think, in 2012, was it, at a zine fair in South London? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was in the, in the back of a pub. In, in New Cross. Cross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was Arms, wasn't it? Yeah. That was it. Yeah, that was it. And obviously at that point, Avery Hall Publishing existed, but in a very different form, I think you'd agree, to, to what it is now. With that in mind, at that point, uh, myself and Jack, who I used to do South London Hardcore with, uh, spoke to you. and We did a whole episode about the early days of Avery Hill Publishing, I would say. But the, 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 the new sort of incarnation does feel very different, uh, very different sort of focus and, and feel to the whole the whole project. Where would you say that point sort of started from where, where it became? The, the sort of Avery Hill publishing we spoke about on South London Hardcore to the Avery Hill publishing that exists today? It was probably, I'm trying to remember when it was. I think it was in spring 2015 or was it 2014? I, I can't remember now, but it was a particularly hot day in spring um, in Orbital Comics where we launched four titles at the same time, which were the new version of Reed's One, Days by Simon Morton, uh, Metroland, by me and Julia, and oh, a Beginner's Guide to Being Outside by Jill Hatchett. It was probably the first time where we'd actually uh, decided to step it up a bit and massively increase our print runs and uh, the quality of the books, the size of the books as well. It was our first kind of long-form graphic novel. 
Yeah, I, I, I'd say you could pretty much trace it back to that where we suddenly fall, oh, this is getting a bit more serious. Yeah, I, I just shared my phone, actually, because I've got some photos uh, from it was July 2014. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm the same as I'm the same as Ricky. It all, it all kind of starts to blur into the, the timeline starts to get really blurry because it's just kind of uh, it's felt probably quite quite natural the way we progressed it. But I, I think it, I think it was that release of titles and and days in particular i think was a big deal for us because as ricky said it was the first larger larger or, or longer length book that we um put out and it was with it was with simon morton it was collecting um some of simon morton's self-public work uh, self-published work and simon was always always been a since i first kind of came across the the, the self-publishing and small press in the uk I was always a massive fan of Simon and, and, and absolutely love his work and still do. So th- that was really quite a big deal for us that someone like Simon would put his faith in us to to work on work with us on a project. And that that in itself, along with, with, with the rest of the titles we put together, that was that, that felt like a step forward for us in not only in what we were doing, but in the way people perceived us as well. That was also the first Avery Hill book that I bought before I started working with you guys. Yeah, that that was how I kind of got to know about Avery Hill because I was a fan of Simon too. So Kat really jumped in when it was the new the new version of Avery Hill, which is uh, interesting. I mean, now one of the sort of indicators I think of the new direction is the fact that there's, for want of a better sort of phrase, a mission statement. Would you say a sort of uh, operational belief behind the, the the project that wasn't really there before? Yeah, I I think so. I think that came when we were trying to write a new tagline for ourselves, really, I think either on Twitter or Facebook. And it was the first time we ever kind of sat down and thought, well, what do we actually do? And we thought, well, we look for new creators. That's kind of the big side of things. Um, And we also try to help develop creators as well. So people like Tim Bird and Owen Pomery, who've been with us for a while, we were putting out, we put out a few books by them and we were, kind of helping them raise their profile. And then there were other people coming along, people like Gareth Brooks, who'd had proper graphic novels out with big publishers who we were kind of picking up their little side projects that they wanted to do. So that, that was kind of how we started thinking about what Avery Hill was at that point. And I, I think that's probably as close as we'll ever get to being able to describe it is, yeah, just helping new creators, bringing along ones who still haven't had their first big break and then yeah trying to do interesting little side projects for uh, established creators which i think is a sort of organic extension of, of what the, the the publisher was before wasn't it essentially you were doing your own things it was a very different more of a, a music focused but comics came to the forefront more and more and then as you're discovering people like owen and tim and, and working with them and giving them spaces to put comics into i think the natural evolution then is for you to sort of go this works for us there are plenty of uh, creators out here that haven't got places to necessarily put their work and we can create that space for them i think that's exactly i think we quickly realized that there was a a space or a gap the 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 kind of structure and the and, and the hierarchy almost of 
in in this country that that just wasn't being wasn't being accessed. And I think I think we and that's between kind of the real small press self publishing and and the bigger publishers. There, there didn't seem to be a huge amount covering that that middle ground. So it was really great to and working with those types of creators. And as Ricky said, the likes of Simon Morton and Gareth Brooks. And understanding and meeting those people and and seeing that we could work with them as well, um, it gave us that nice little area to 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 occupy, which is you know kind of where I think it's fair to say where we we, we still operate. It's just uh, it's grown in in width, if not if not in any other way. Yeah, I I think because we didn't really know the indie comic scene in that kind of way, um, we didn't really understand that what we had created was actually quite close to what a lot of American comics publishers do. So people like Retrofit and those kind of people, it was probably closer to their kind of model than it was to what most of the UK publishers were doing at that kind of time. And I think I think once we did realise that we saw how we could how we could develop. And I think I think where the the, the, the real development phase for us started once we once we recognised some of the similarities in what we were doing in in and as Ricky says it is mainly I, I think in in North America where we saw similarities and no, it, no we're not doing anything for the first time it's very rare that you're you know you're kind of breaking new ground in, in this kind of thing so it was just finding those comparisons and those um, examples making contact with those types of people and us understand how we could how we could develop further. Part of that development, as you said, was sort of larger print runs, more expansive lists of titles than you'd done before. And obviously, you know, you've carried on from there each year doing more books. I'd assume doing sort of exponentially larger print runs as you go along. So it's it's working, isn't it? In, in that sort of way, the project can be seen as something that is viable. I kind of um, I use this analogy quite a lot, but. Uh, and bear with me here, but um, you, you know the end of Back to the Future 3 where they're on the train <laughs> and they have those uh, little bombs that keep going off in the um, uh, in the driving bit of the train, like in the little stove. Yeah. And every time one's about to go off, it has to be at a certain point and they have to ride it and kind of go really fast. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I felt like we had those moments. So we had that first launch we talked about and then there was... When Rachel came on as well, I think that was another big one. And then obviously Tilly as well, which and both of those happened at around about the same time. And then it was okay, so the Tilly then Tilly getting her big book deal was the next one. And it was like each of those points, it was like, we need to be able to capitalize here. We need to say, okay, we need to we can take advantage of this and get better distribution, we can get better press. Uh, each of those points and then I, I think that's mainly what we've been quite good at is recognizing those key points where we had to or where we could take it on a bit um and yeah so i i, I kind of feel like that's what we've been doing and just just so everyone's clear in that in that analogy i am very much marty mcfly um <laughs> so can just 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 round that out a little bit <laughs> Am I Biff? What, what, who am I in this? I don't know what the... Um, no, Owen Pomery's Biff, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll be the dog. <laughs> I'll, 
Einstein. No. I think that's a really, uh, it's a really good analogy, despite the fact that it comes from Back to the Future Three, because it is a thing of <laughs> you, you've taken these opportunities to literally propel the company forward, haven't you? But there's also a thing there where, you know, you've, uh, I would argue with your, your the, each thing you've done at each stage, you've sort of built the next bomb to put into the fire, if you will. You've, you've sort of taken an opportunity to build a platform use that platform to take an opportunity to build a platform, which is a very sort of organic way to do it. It's not sort of something, you know, some sort of, you know, ridiculous situation where you try and launch 30 books and do incredible print runs for all of them and end up sort of like heartbroken and, you know, financially broken as well. I was talking to Owen last night, actually, and he was telling me because he went to um, he was living in Montreal for a while, and he was he went to draw on the quarterlies. I think it was their tenth birthday, or maybe twentieth, or something. I'm not I'm not sure what. But he said that the thing he took away from that was the advice they gave, which was keep it as small as possible for as long as you can, and not try and expand. Keep keep doing it in your bedroom if if you can get away with it, because as soon as you start throwing overheads on top of it, you're gonna you end up having to chase some money and that's when bad decisions happen yeah i i think we've accidentally managed to follow that advice as well we've ne- it's been necessary because we, we've the, the only investment and the only funding for the business comes from us and we obviously have to be and we set the business up in that way initially and the company up in that way so in a way that's been a nice constraint for us in as much as we can't overstretch it's felt it's felt like the right pace for us which as i say which is why it's kind of hard to, to put the timeline together and say yeah that was what happened in 2014 that's what happened in 2015 2016 we do see it more as those opportunities and jumping off points another thing about being relatively small is you can take advantage of it because you haven't got a huge amount of you know you can be you can be quite agile you can be quite flexible so that that's what's continue to allow us to, to be able to take advantage of these opportunities. And now it's all about finding finding the next platform and finding the next opportunity, which might might take us to, to, to the next phase, I suppose. Um, just, yeah, just to drop in another bad film analogy there. there there's a bit in um, The Big Shawl where it's they're talking to the two guys who kind of pretty much accidentally ride the whole uh, credit crunch bandwagon and make lots and lots of money out of it. And what they say is that they make lots of small bets with long odds. So, and that's kind of what we were doing as well in the sense that we could say to Tilly, yes, you can do three books in a year for us because it's not going to cost us very much to put those books out. But the returns on those are going to be really, really good if they hit. Whereas a bigger company where they would have had to have done a lot more marketing, a lot more PR, a lot more kind of upfront cash would not be able to do that in the same kind of way. And, and in that analogy, I'm, I'm very much Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back now at some of the creators you've worked with, what would you say were the, the sort of little explosions that propelled you along uh, in the last few years? Last few years, and, and, and this is kind of moving moving on beyond Jill and, and Simon and also people like Mike Medalia very early on as well. Donya Todd, I think Butter Tubs was, uh, because Donya's someone that we wanted to work with for a long time um, and whose work we absolutely love. So it was, it, was, it was a big deal for us to be able to work with Donya. Um, Rachel Smith, as, as Ricky mentioned, 
again, you, you know, a creator we absolutely whose work we absolutely loved before we got the opportunity to to work with her, and you know, we've done we've done two books with with her that have been massively um, successful. Tilly as well. It did seem we, we we had that kind of period of, of putting out Tilly's books that just because of, of the prolific way in which she she, she works that um, gave us a real focus at that point, I think. And then Tim's Tim's third and fourth issues of his Grey Area series, which have the third and, and I suppose that's that's an explosion point that we we've not really touched upon. Tim won um, the best comic of the year at the British Comic Awards for for his third issue in the grey area series and that was i mean obviously another really big deal for us and, and you know we were tim as ricky mentioned tim was one of the first the first comic we put out by by someone that wasn't one of us was tim so he'd been with us at the very very start um so for tim to get recognized in that way that was that was absolutely huge and you know then then steve tillotson as well with um untitled apes epic adventure there's Every it certainly feels to me because we get the opportunity to work on the projects and see them through conception into um, you know kind of the editorial phase and, and how they evolve. They all kind of seem like a big deal, which is my kind of really subtle way to cover off the um, favourite children aspect <laughs> of, of, of that art. Every 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 step's kind of got a bit of a story behind it in a way, and every book's got a bit of a story behind it. But um, yeah. I, I think I think Tim winning that the, the award was was really big and um, as I say not only for us but for but for for Tim as well and that it was a, it was a real it was a real boost for us as well you know it's a real motivator when a project that you work on gets recognised in that way. Yeah, and obviously also in terms of awards we had the um, Eisen nominations and the um, Ignatz awards for Tilly's books, which blew our minds really because um, when we were growing up. Uh, reading comics, we kind of heard about the Eisens and just all but yeah, they were like the Oscars or something. So to actually get nominated and one of our books with the words Avery Hill Publishing on the nominees list, that that was that was pretty incredible as well. Yeah, I think you texted me at like half past six one weekday morning to tell me that he had been nominated, and it was like, I'm, yeah, I mean that was. That was. I, I actually called you up. It's one of the rare times we uh, speak on the phone, and then yeah, no, I, I phoned you to say that we've uh, uh, been nominated. I think I think that's probably one of the one of the only three times we've spoken in, on the phone over the last two or three years. So, I mean, it was a pretty big deal. It was certainly the only time where it's about something happy. Positive. <laughs> so obviously, with the growth in creators that you're working with print runs, uh, growing lists of, of title releases each year. Uh, the company's grown. The demands have grown. So initially, uh, it's Cat who comes in to, to give you a hand. Do you want to talk about that decision and, and how Cat got involved? We were having one of our um, meetings. I can't remember where. Did we Skype? I think we might have Skyped. Um, no, I think I, I, I put around your... Oh, yeah, your, yeah. You when you were, yeah, we were kind of... We, we knew we needed to get someone to help. We need we needed, I think the criteria is basically someone we could trust, someone who knew about comics, someone we thought we could get on with on a level of they weren't going to be too crazy. And <laughs> I, yeah, and then uh, that person wasn't available. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think we, I think we actually only had the cat on our shortlist. I, I think it was that kind of thing. 
what led us to that decision was we as we were growing we had a, a long long list of things we needed or wanted to do and we just weren't scratching things off and Ricky was was handling a lot of the marketing and sales stuff and it was just it was just kind of overwhelming and uh, again it's one of those necessary decisions that we arrived at to allow us to to kind of take another another step uh, and Ricky Ricky came up with the, with the idea of approaching Cat and it, and it literally was just just if Cat said no we, we probably would have wound it up I think we, we didn't have anyone else so that, that would have been it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I knew only too well from self-publishing myself, like how much work it is um, to do everything yourself. So I can only imagine <laughs> before I joined, you know, how much time the guys were spending on this stuff. But um, yeah, I was just really happy to be asked and it works really well. I think I'm, I, I'm really kind of organized and detail oriented. And I think Ricky's brilliant at kind of looking at the big picture so I think it's kind of a good team up. He'll just uh, come up with amazing ideas and send them to me and I'll try and do them. Yeah, generally it's like I'll, I'll be sitting there in my day job and come up with something and then send Kat a one-line email and she's probably going, oh, my God, what the hell have I got to do now? <laughs> and, and the great thing for me is I don't get those one-line emails anymore. So yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah, it's like... America. I think we should crack America, Cat. Why don't you go and do that? <laughs> <laughs> and now you're here, Steve, so uh, you started seeing those emails yourself. It's amazing how much dread you can fit into one line, isn't it? Just like, what, <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> but this is it now. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, a very recent... Uh, when did you start, Cat? What was the actual time? Do you remember? Um, It was about two years ago. Okay. Yeah, it's just over two years, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's two and a half. I think half, yeah. it's like, like April or something. And yeah, 2015, probably April 2015, I would imagine. So it does sort of track in terms of the, the expansion of titles, the expansion of people. And it is now a sort of virtuous circle, isn't it? You know, with three of you involved, it allowed you to expand uh, into more titles and more creators. And obviously, now I'm on board as well to give a hand hopefully we can, again, use it as a platform to sort of move on. You can almost see in in the books that we put out and, and some of the crazy work with, where, where Kat coming on board gave, allow, allowed me and Ricky to free up some of our time to, to concentrate more on working with the creators. I mean, the standard of the work is always there, but it's more around what we've been able to put into uh, an input to the development of the, of the ideas, not necessarily... <clears throat> in, in the content but in the format we've been able to develop what what our knowledge and our capabilities in in, in those areas as well so i think we i mean we, we said it was you know probably the best thing best thing we ever did was was bringing cat on board and you know so obviously that's no pressure on on you steve but um <laughs> but they really gave us it gave us so much um and and that that also translated through to all, all of those things coming together with with Kat's input and support, enabling us to, to free up more time to work with the creators and on the books. That then led to us being able to, for the first time, approach uh, distributors with a proposition that was was hopefully attractive for them, which we we never felt we were in that place before. And Ricky might kind of think of another one, but I think that was the last time we really got one of those kind of boosts forward. And um, firstly, working 
with a UK distributor and then working with a distributor in the US because that's opened up, you know, so many more opportunities from a sales point of view that has enabled us to stabilise a little bit. And, and you know, that, that's that's thinking around the more boring businessy side of things rather than the fun creative side of things and working on the projects. But obviously you need one to do to do the other. So, yeah, within, within that two and a half year period of CAT um, being on board, Within the last 18 months or so, we've really developed our relationships with, with with those couple of distributors, and we're now really seeing being able to see the benefits of those. Which, and you described it exactly, Steve, as a virtual circle. We then can offer the benefits of that to not only the creators we've worked with before, but but potentially new creators as well. And it makes it a more attractive proposition, hopefully, for people to to work with us. Without wanting to toot my own horn, uh, I would say with myself and Kat, you've made a couple of smart hires just in terms of background and skill sets as well you know in very different ways obviously cat is a creator has done production distribution also had editorial roles on on projects so you know cat your understanding of of how a book is put together and and put out there is you know you know what a a boon to the company yeah i mean I, i i was a little nervous when they first asked me because i thought how how do you be head of marketing for a publishing company (laughs) <laughs> I don't I've not trained for this position <laughs> but um but yeah I see I just realized that a lot of it I was kind of I'd already done just for my own little project so yeah I think we've we've figured it all out together how to make it all work plus you use a co-run tiny pencil as well which was a big factor in us um deciding that you'd be a good fit because you'd had most of the issues we probably already had as well Yes, yeah, that was a big that was a big project that one, and so we certainly had certainly had the experience of trying to get good quality print editions. We had that that experience of things growing quite rapidly, like print runs growing and trying to manage all of that, dealing with trying to get the issues out once you you know once you do start printing more, trying to start, sell them in larger numbers. So yeah, I did kind of have a little bit of experience of that. You know, to, to be able to work with someone that were, had experienced in exactly what or what we were going to be coming up against in the immediate next kind of six months was hugely helpful and, and made that kind of development phase so much easier just because Kat had already experienced it. I would say in terms of like uh, as a creative fit as well, you know, Tiny Pencil is a fantastic idea and was like really well curated. So they're two things that sort of fit in with the, the Avery Hill ideal isn't it you know getting good ideas and getting good people to do it so you know uh, on that basis as well I think that's another sort of element that counts for something yeah I have to give credit to Amber though because I mean Amber Sue she came up with the concept of tiny pencil so uh, I don't want to claim that for myself (laughs) you hired the wrong person guys this is a terrible (laughs) wait what (laughs) (laughs) and obviously from my point of view you know I've come off of uh, working at gosh comics for the last few years where I was running uh, the small press section. So, you know, I would field emails from a lot of uh, publishers and creators. Um, So I think I've got an idea about, you know, what shops are looking for in terms of communication and and what shops are looking for in terms of of products as well. So, you know, I think, as I say, we've all got complementary skills that bind us together quite, quite nicely. So just bringing things a little more up to date, let's you know have a chat about some of the more recent projects, the more recent releases that have come out. 
So, yeah, I mean, we're obviously just at the end of our 2017 list, but it's been an exciting year. We, we started out at the start of the year with Deep Space Canine, which was um, the latest anthology from Comic Book Slumber Party, which Cat did an amazing cover for. And that, that and that actually got awarded for an Ignat this year, which we weren't expecting and, and we were absolutely delighted with. And and we were actually, we went to SPX this year, so we were, we were able to sit in the audience of the Ignatz Award when we found out that we hadn't won. So that, that, that was a wonderful uh, experience. <laughs> and then we, we went to TCAF uh, in Toronto earlier in the year and we, we released uh, a comic called Goat Herded by Charlo Freyd, who is is an American creator, which is a kind of a, it's got a manga-influenced sci-fi feel to it, which was huge amounts of fun to work on. Char- Charlo's amazing and has got, so, not only is his, his art style incredible, but the ideas he comes up with are, are absolutely amazing. And you worked on on ghosts, etc., with George Wiles over it, didn't you? That was a that's that's a great book. Yeah, yeah. We we called George just before he won the Carnegie Silver Medal Illustration Award. So he was another one who we kind of got a bit lucky with with our timing. And we'd already spoken to him and agreed to put out a collection of his work called Ghosts, etc. And he does a lot of kind of graphic design and album covers and things. And his comics are kind of super odd and super interesting. Um, as soon as we found out that his job, I was going to say day job, it's actually a night job, is he works in a hospital fixing televisions, just <laughs> which is just blew my mind the fact that there's a whole job in fixing TVs in one hospital. He spends a lot of nights kind of, yeah, in, in a very quiet hospital, which must, very massive hospital as well, which kind of very much informs his work. And then what did we do after that? Uh, I think it was something city then. It was um, yeah. Elise's book. So so we, we kind of we came across Elise's work at Bristol Comic and Zine Fair. Was that last year as well? I think it probably was. Uh, she paints it all, incredible style, incredible colours. And, and Elise has got a really uh, distinctive narrative voice, <clears throat> which is perhaps kind of unlike the majority of, uh, of kind of narrative voices you see out there. Certainly when I read it, it hasn't necessarily got a naturalistic flow to it, which means you have to kind of work with the ideas and, and the language she's using and the way she's telling her stories, which I, and especially with Something City, which is, which is the book that we did release. It kind of absorbs you in because you have to kind of you have to commit to it. You have to you have to really concentrate on on the language and and, and the flow of, uh, of of the way Elise tells her stories, and that that just picks up. It's a fictitious city focusing on separate pockets of communities um, within that city. One's in a jail, one's in an Amish community, one's in a super technological uh, technological community, uh, and they all overlap. And it's just, it, it's it, it, there, there's a definite oddness to it, but also, again, it, it's, it's a fantastic book that uh, Elise is an absolute joy to work with as well. Um, and we, we launched that at LCAF in, in June. We, we, we also... Uh, Put out a hardcover of um, I love this part by Tilly Walden, which is which is one of the Ignatz Award winning books that Tilly's done and uh, Eisner Award nominated. We, we just kept selling out of um, the the soft cover version, so and we, we've wanted to do a hardcover for ages. So we thought this is a perfect opportunity to to, to put our first hardcover out and uh, our first hardback, and it's it's come out beautifully. It's slightly larger in size, so it gives the art a little bit more room to breathe, which I don't think it's strictly necessary to to, to to get the best read from the book, but 
that's come out really nicely. And then our latest book, which, which again, one, one you worked on, Ricky, is, is Izmir by B. Muir, which um, we, we, we launched uh, last month in Bristol. Yeah, B, B's a creator that we wanted to work with for ages. And they the first book that they did when they were a student uh, was actually one of the first small press books I ever read. And I think that was like five years ago or something when they were 17 or 18. And I remember thinking at the time that just their world view and their sense of humor, which is really compatible with us. And then uh, I got them to do a couple of pinups in the old version of Reed's, a couple of Metroland ones. And then um, they did a backup in issue three of Metroland. So it's someone we've been keeping in touch with pretty much since day one of Avery Hill and to finally release a book by them. And we were both very pleased about that. And it's definitely one that we both love a lot and are very proud to have put out. And then um, so we've got one more book to, to put out this year, which <clears throat> is, is released uh, in about a week or so's time uh, called It's Cold in the River at Night by Alex Potts. Alex is someone we worked with before. We put out a comic uh, called A Quiet Disaster with Alex. And for those that know a little bit about about the the kind of small press scene in, in London and, and the UK, Alex has been involved for, for a long, long time. He's an incredible cartoonist. His background's in animation, but his, his comics practice is watercolours, it's inks. It's, it's very character-led. He's one of the kind of preeminent cartoonists that we've got in the UK, his, his work's just absolutely incredible. There's a nodness in, 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 in the way that Alex tells his stories. It's, there's a lot of internal monologue, and uh, Alex uses thought bubbles, which you know, kind of you rarely get in, in or, or certainly I think has fallen out of fashion in, in comics to a certain extent. And, and it's very much about his characters and what they're thinking. It's an incredible piece of work, and we got reviewed this week, actually. It actually described it as a horror story, which I probably didn't pick up on. There, there is kind of that underlying kind of anxiety and low level. Yeah, it's kind of psychological horror. Yeah, no, it is. And I know that Alex, I mean, I saw him comment today that it's, it's his favourite review so far, so... I think we've finally tapped into into what Alex was trying to achieve. We're going to be doing a gift guide next month uh, for Christmas. So we'll be talking a bit more about a lot of titles from Avery Hill in a bit more detail then. Just before we go, though, one of the things we're going to do in each month is a roundup of the latest news from the Avery Hill newsletter. The featured title in this month's newsletter is It's Cold in the River at Night by Alex Potts, which we've already talked about. We've got a few Paul quotes where Alex's work has been described as beguilingly nihilistic, compelling uh, and poetic and layered. And we also have a plot summary. Somewhere in an isolated corner of Western Europe, Carl and Rita rent a house on stilts. Due to the pressure of spending so much time only in each other's company, cracks in their relationship start to appear. To relieve the pressure and secretly hoping to meet someone he can look up to who will take him on as an apprentice, Carl embarks on a search for the last remaining practitioner of an ancient local tradition. His quest brings him to a craftsman who is very different to the type of man he was looking to find. And we've described Alex's first long-form graphic novel as a psychological drama and a coming-of-age tale, where the protagonist is too old to come of age, doesn't experience any personal growth, and is instead pushed to the brink of his sanity. We have an exclusive offer to listeners of the podcast and subscribers to the newsletter, 
where this month you can get 25% off of the rabbit and or artificial flowers by Rachel Smith and our web shop by using the offer code Rachel25 at checkout. And Rachel there is spelt R-A-C-H-A-E-L, followed by the numbers two and five as numerical figures, as opposed to words. Rob Clough from High Low has described Rachel's work by saying that in every one of Smith's books, the main characters have a transformative arc. What transforms the characters is certainly the circumstances related to the plot, but that's just the mechanism of change. What really transforms them is they learn to accept the truth about themselves, something about which they've been in denial. In our press roundup, we remind you that our own Cat Chapman was interviewed about Avery Hill on the Comic Syllabus podcast, and Rogue's Portal reviewed Izmir by B. Muir. They said... Adding beautiful art to an intriguing narrative, Izmir becomes an amazingly eccentric and beautiful book to read. It is simple and surreal. The story balances the visual and literary elements perfectly. An amazing indie comic. And at Broken Frontier, they described Izmir as undoubtedly the breakout work of a small press creator who has long been due for greater recognition. And finally, just to let you know that on Sunday the 26th of November, we'll be at the Brighton DIY Art Market, which will run from 11am to 6pm at the Old Market on Upper Market Street in Hove. Thanks for talking to me, guys. I'll see you next month where we pick out some Christmas gifts. Awesome. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. Cheers, Steve. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programmes you may enjoy.